0: Today we're going to be looking at, at three uh, passages, and the question we're going to look at today is, what is faith? <clears throat> what is faith? Uh, that, that's a word we throw around a lot. We, we use this word. It's been, you know, it's, we defend the faith. We have a confession of faith. Um, we have, you know, faith that it, the summer is going to be nice, um, we use the word faith in a lot of different ways, but what does faith mean? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing. hearing by the word of God. Right. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Since about the 16th century, Protestant Reformation, and then the emergence of the Enlightenment, faith For most people, means agreement with a set of beliefs. Like a, a, a doctrinal confession of information and being able to kind of check off, we believe this, we believe this, we believe this, and we go through what's called maybe a creed. But when we look in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and you get into the New Testament too, faith isn't a list, faith is a relationship. Because faith is always a verb. It's an action, not a noun. And it centers us. Um, there is, there is a, a, a few different ways we can frame faith. Faith is, is an assent. It's logical, factual, propositional truth. And, and there's a great part to that, but it keeps it up here, and it keeps it in our head. And as I said, this became most prominent after the 17th century. Up until the 17th century, faith was more about trust and fidelity. Trust in a person, a a relational heart commitment. To have faith was to be deeply committed to somebody else. Or fidelity we don't use this word a lot, we use maybe high fidelity to like talk about what's, you know, is it hi-fi? <clears throat> you know, really crisp and clear. But fidelity has to do with faithfulness in relationships. Being true to others. And since that kind of is the, is, is the foundation of a pre-17th century view of faith then we need to think of it in, this, in these terms, as, as in relationship, as commitment to others. Faith is primarily about heart commitment to others, not a mind commitment to facts. And that's a big shift, I think, especially in Western culture, because for most of us, defending the faith means getting the facts right and making sure other people get the facts right. We do talk a lot about the heart. In fact, orthodoxy, up until about the Reformation as well, about the 16th, 17th century, meant correct worship. You know, orthodoxy. Ortho meaning corrective, like orthodontics, orthopedic, you know, you got a problem with your foot, you go to an orthopedic surgeon, they correct stuff so you can walk straight. Orthodoxy, Doxa is the word for glory or worship. And it was about correct worship and wonder before God, not just correct factual doctrinal statements, which is what we tend to view. If you're Orthodox, you have, you check certain boxes. And so when we think about faith and we think about saving faith, we have to think about it in the terms of right worship of the God of wonder. And right relationship and fidelity to relationship. And that's what we celebrate with communion. First passage, briefly, short passage, is this talks about the fact that faith, fidelity, relationship in Christ, because faith isn't in uh, uh, stuff, it's in a person, it's faith in Christ. Romans chapter 5, Verses 1 and 2. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this probably deserves an entire message or series in and of itself, because if we could just unpack justified by faith, and then we could just unpack peace with God and then obtaining access into grace and the rejoicing that comes with that. We have been justified by faith, and faith, where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, but how can we hear? Because we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but God made us alive in Jesus Christ. Even our hearing of the word requires an act of the grace of God to make us alive so we can hear it first. Dead people don't hear or have faith. God has to do something. There is an act of God that happens. No one can come to me unless the Father first draws him, Jesus said. We have been justified, passive tense. It's something done for us and to us by faith. We have peace with God. And this is is not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of wholeness. It's this shalom idea. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the object of our faith, who is a person. It is a trust that has a person at its center. Through Him, through Jesus. And the Greek preposition here, through, means to to go through something. You're here and you want to get to here, but you have to take this path. That's the going through. It's through the agency of Jesus Christ through who He is, what He has done, through Him, not through checking off the doctrinal boxes, but through Christ, through Jesus, we obtain access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Let's... Brother Abe asked, what's the sweetest thing you can imagine? Is the sweetest thing you can imagine the most wonderful thing, the the source of your hope, the unimaginable glory of God? That's the hope. That's the sweetest thing. Rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And faith means that our standing before God has changed. We are justified. Now we have peace with him. We have obtained access into his grace. And we stand in the and and we rejoice in this hope and the glory of God, It's, it's ours now and will be forever through Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross, because we couldn't do it on our own. Faith in Christ changes our standing before God. Secondly, faith in Christ changes our relationship with God. So our standing with God and our relationship with God, kind of synonymous things, but... It's it's a relational step that happens. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says, Saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're just going to look at verses 1 to 6 briefly. Very familiar passage. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting the gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you look up in the dictionary, I just looked up on the dictionary app, a definition of faith, and one definition was an absolute inner conviction of, things, uh, of uh, certain things that are true, and that's a great definition. The second one was interesting. It said a belief in God, a con- con- conviction, uh, basically a belief in God in the absence of proof. And I was like, huh, Interesting. Even the dictionary suggests that believing in God is something that's just a leap of faith. Something that you can't prove. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What do we hope for? The glory of God. Assurance and conviction. Interestingly, the first two characters that the author of Hebrews, and he's kind of gonna, he's, you know, the whole of Hebrews 11 offers these great models of faith. But the first two, I think, provide us a a very interesting example and also they provide us with a contrast because sometimes we think if you just have enough faith, things will go good in your life. And things will work out well here. We're the first two examples, the first one's Abel. He had faith, he offered God a sacrifice, he was commended by God and he died. His brother killed him because he was favored by God. Enoch was favored by God, and he did not die. Highlight those two phrases. They're right side by side pretty much in the Bible. Abel dies, Enoch walks with God, and he was taken up to heaven into glory. Interesting contrast. Faith doesn't doesn't mean that you always get to just walk with God straight into glory. Faith in God may mean that your brother's not going to like what you did. And there may be division and conflict and pain involved. And the rest of Hebrews 11 will, will continually weave this thing that faith in God does not always mean great things now. It does sometimes, but often it doesn't. And it just keeps going back and forth, back and forth. Because faith is a journey. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without trusting, without committing our hearts and our lives to God in a relational connection it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God present tense ongoing action whoever would continually draw near to God must believe past tense settled in your mind believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who continually, present, active, tense, seek him. Faith is a journey. Drawing near to God is a continual thing that we must do. Seeking God is a continual action of our hearts. And faith, in this definition, fulfills the greatest commandment, part one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Focusing your life and your energy on seeking Him and drawing near to Him continually. I think the overall lesson of Hebrews 11 is that faith does not equal the life you want, success and freedom from pain and suffering and persecution. Faith is walking with God in the midst of the joy and the pain, the failures and the successes. It's a relationship with God. And it is the relationship with God that is the reward drawing near to Him, seeking Him, regardless of what happens in life and the circumstances that you're facing. Faith in Christ changes our relationship with God. It's not no longer about what God can do for me, but it's just the fact that I get to walk with God through Jesus Christ, justified by faith, having peace with Him, and the hope of glory and this place of grace in which we stand. Faith is a journey. It's a pursuit that requires effort and focus, determination and investment, who would continually draw near, those who will continually seek him. It's a journey. It's a discovery. It's a relationship. The last passage we'll look at takes... Faith and shows it in a bit of a different light. Real saving faith is a lived faith. And its foundation is built on the previous points that, that, that faith in Christ changes our standing before God. We've been justified. We have peace with God. We've obtained access by faith into this grace. We have assurance of the things hoped for, confident of the things we don't see. We continually seek Him and draw near to Him. Therefore, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. James isn't entering into a debate here. He's just saying, hey, if it's not proved by how you live, then it's not saving faith. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, here's an example. Lacking daily food. And one of you says, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things they need for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, again, he's kind of having a, he's got a make-believe conversation going on here with somebody who's disagreeing with him. Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Well, show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Remember Luke chapter 4 and 5? We said those, you know, those demons that Jesus were casting out were crying out and saying, Hey, you're the, you're the anointed one. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. We know exactly who you are. And Jesus shut them up. You know, they're better theologians than we are. They got their theology down. They're very orthodox, those demons. <clears throat> You believe that God is one. And here, James, is, he's speaking to a largely Jewish audience. He's saying, you say the Shema every day. Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yeah, the demons believe that too. So saying the Shema every day doesn't get you saved. <laughs> Repeating stuff over and over. You believe God is one? Well, great, great, good start. Even the demons believe in shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith from apart works is useless? Was not not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? You see his faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, uh, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so James now is pulling on two examples from the Old Testament. Very interesting examples, don't you think? Abraham. Abraham, well, wow, founder of the nation, years and decades of walking with God, uh, receiver of the covenant, uh, Genesis 15, that this uh, wonderful vision of God, receiver of this promise of Isaac who, who went so far as to offer his son on the altar, and God came through and, and, and confirmed this covenant with him. And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you, if you go back into Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews deals with this a lot. But Hebrews also ends the, the list of faithful ones the same way that James does here Rahab. You now, never mind Moses or Joshua or Caleb and, and, and maybe Elijah. Like those guys walk by faith. Why bring Rahab into this situation? Because no matter the size of of the step of faith that you take. And no matter the background of your life, it's God who works. Abraham, the patriarch, and Rahab, the prostitute. And James is saying, same level. Same response, because it's the same God. It's not how good you've been. It's not how often you go to church. It's not how many Bible verses you can memorize. It's God and his power and his authority and his work. In the same way, verse 25, the same way as Abraham. Now, justified by works. I mean, we really get our minds bent out of shape on this one sometimes. But the reality is, is if you have met the Lord Jesus and you have a personal relationship with him and your life doesn't change, then I don't think you've met Jesus. Because every time Jesus meets people, that's why we go through the Gospels so much. That's why I'm committed to preaching through the Gospels on a regular basis. When people meet Jesus, they change. They never stay the same. Well, some do. Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, people of high religious moral integrity never change. But the broken and the hurting, especially wicked sinners, throughout the Gospels, they come to Jesus they flock to Jesus, they run to Jesus, and their lives are transformed. Not because of anything they have done, but because of the grace of God that works for them. You see, saving faith changes our priorities and our decisions, and how we live becomes radically Christ-centered when we come into contact with Jesus. Saving faith peace with God, rejoicing in hope, assured of his grace and forgiveness with conviction of knowing the Lord Jesus as the source of our life and breath, it's got to look different in our day-to-day lives. It's got to look different in our relationships Without faith, it's impossible to please him forever. Who would continually draw near to God must believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who continually seek him. The greatest commandment, part one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Greatest commandment, part two, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we need to understand the works part. Love your neighbor as yourself. work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Another place Paul says and this is the this is the most important thing what matters is faith working itself out through love. So it's our relationship with God and our relationship with others that's the heart of faith. That's the center of faith. Faith is relational through and through. It is not propositional truths. It is relational connection with God and with others. See, propositional-based faith accepts facts, but it is not transformative. It doesn't change our lives. You can believe all sorts of things. Study the Bible cover to cover. There's guys in universities and religious studies that study the Bible relentlessly and write books about it, and it's all up here. It doesn't change their lives. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and the Greek word there is not logos, but rhema. The rhema Word of God is the living, active, speaking word. Remember, something else happened about the 16th, 17th century that changed faith as well, and that was the printing press. With the printing press, you could now have a personal, individualistic faith and study the Bible for yourself. You didn't need community anymore. You didn't need relationship anymore. And that has, I think, we're we're only starting to figure out how much that's damaged the faith in some ways. Because we don't hear the Word of God. We read it as a textbook. We're not hearing the living Word, that comes from the mouth of God. We're reading ink on a page. Yeah, it's different. Saving faith changes our priorities, our decisions, how we live, has to become radically Christ-centered. Saving faith, peace with God, Rejoicing in hope, assured of his grace and forgiveness with the conviction that knowing the Lord Jesus is the source of our life and breath. So it's got to look different. Biblical faith is a gift of God's grace. Relationship with God restored so we can face life with hope, joy, peace, love, and endurance whenever things are not going well or even when they are. Biblical faith is grounded in the unalterable love of God. Romans 8.38-39, to I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor anything in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord, from which we respond in love toward God and others. And we live that out in everyday life. Hebrews 11, again I think here we have another one of those unfortunate chapter divisions. As Hebrews 11 should go straight into Hebrews 12, and we shouldn't stop reading at the end of Hebrews 11. We should keep slamming right on through and say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, throwing off the sin that weighs us down and so easily entangles us, and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our faith was authored by Jesus. He is the source of it. And he is the finisher of it. So that you don't lose heart and give up. it's the next verse. Consider him who was crucified, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorned his shame, and is seated now at the right hand of God the Father. Look to him so that you don't lose heart. So that you don't give up in what's weighing you down today. That's biblical faith. That's a faith that changes our lives. It's a personal relationship, a heart commitment, and it's a faithful relationship to God and others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that in you we can have life and freedom that because Jesus came, the works that we do now are not works to earn your favor or your grace, but works that express our love for your favor and grace. For you were dead in sins and transgressions, but God made you alive in Christ. Therefore, there is no room for boasting, Ephesians chapter 2, 9 and 10. the works that you prepared beforehand for us, are only we're only able to engage them because you have done a marvelous work of grace in our lives, and we respond out of that wonderful, amazing love for you. So Lord, may your word cut deep into our hearts. May we come to Scripture this text that we read, and may we just pray, Lord, you have said that your word is a double-edged sword and it cuts deep into our hearts, dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and exposes the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. So, Lord, I ask that you would do a work in us, in me. As I read your word, may you speak your penetrating, piercing, changing word into my life. We all need that. We don't need to use the scripture to point the finger at other people. We need it to change our hearts. And Lord, may we just love you and love others as you have called us to love them. And so, Lord Jesus, may our faith in you lead to changed lives and embrace the change that you're working in us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Have a great week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself.